What tools do you use to write your books? I write two different sorts of books. Narratives about adventures I've already been on and books that require me to conjure up ideas, then write them down. The first category begins with a journey, and all good journeys start with a map. Even though I increasingly use digital maps for my trips, I still prefer planning on traditional paper maps to visualise, annotate and scribble. Out on the trip, I record as much as I can every day in a notebook. This includes facts and figures, what's happened today, my thoughts and feelings, and an ephemera of bits and bobs I've seen along the way. I have no desire to go digital for this phase. Phones smash, notebooks bend. I also collect stuff along the way and tuck it into the pages of my diary. Leaflets, postcards, scribble directions or maps and anything that will jog my memory when I come to write it all down later. Photography is also an essential part of my writing process. Pictures are valuable aid memoirs for writing, allowing me to describe a scene later on more faithfully than I can with memory alone. I often take a photo purely because I know it will be a helpful reminder shot for my writing. Once I'm home from a trip, the first task in turning an adventure into a story is to type up all my diaries. It's laborious, but it combines two important jobs. It creates the first rough skeleton of a narrative, which I will return to later and flesh out properly. It also gives my brain its first opportunity to begin thinking about the journey as a single entity and a coherent story. This is a very different beast to the million moments out there in the wind and the rain, hungry and lost, when I was living every moment chronologically and without reflection or perspective. After this point, all my books converge and are written in a similar way. They all take shape in my shed. Come in, take your shoes off and let me show you around. My shed measures three and a half metres each way. It's a bog standard garden centre cabin with added double glazing, insulation, electricity and internet. Outside is a log for me to sit on and write when the sun is shining. One wall of the shed is all windows and glass doors, giving me a nice view of trees and bird feeders. Another wall is taken up with a full-length desk, of which about half is raised to standing desk height. When I first experimented with a standing desk, I made one out of a plank and two piles of books. At first, my back ached, my calves hurt, and I was exhausted by the end of the day. Yet these are the very reasons why I tried a standing desk. My body had become accustomed to sitting down. Sitting down kills thousands of people every year. I got used to standing after about two weeks and it has helped my back pains considerably. I'm a definite convert. After I decided to commit to writing standing up, noting the improvement to my back, posture and energy, I had a desk made by a carpenter. It's very basic, but it's large, five foot by three, and it is precisely the right height for me. I stand on a standing desk mat, a cushioned, rubbery, knobbly mat, which does a surprisingly good job of reducing the fatigue of standing all day. I recently revolutionised my winter mornings and announced my slide into middle age by buying a heated pad to stand on and keep my feet warm. It solved a perennial problem of getting cold feet in my shed, even with a heater and my giant Christmas elf slippers. Standing at my desk now, as I record this, I will talk you through my working setup. 
To my left, by the windows, is a section of normal height desk and a wooden stool. The theory is that I sit there and work whenever I want to be away from a computer and engage my brain. I enjoy doing that, but usually every inch of that desk is covered with books, open notepads and pieces of paper covered in ideas and lists. Lined up along the windowsill is a row of smooth pebbles, sea glass, acorns and an action man head that I've picked up along the way. I have one of those in-tray, out-tray thingies in a laughable hope that my life might ever be so efficient. I peer into it about once a year. I have a glass jar labelled One Day in which I stuff all the post-it note ideas that have lain around my desk for so long that their colours have faded and I have to accept I'm not going to get round to acting on them anytime soon. I don't want to bin them, but nor do I want them clutching my brain. So I shove them into the jar, ready for the day I finally run out of ideas. There are a couple of dozen post-it note reminders scattered amongst the wireless keyboard and mouse on my standing desk. My laptop sits out of the way on a lower shelf, plugged into a 27-inch monitor, which is invaluable for editing photos and video. The keyboard and monitor help me keep a better ergonomic writing posture than tapping away on a laptop. My laptop gets continually backed up onto a hard drive with Time Machine and I do another fortnightly backup onto a hard drive that lives in my house, not my shed. Also on my desk is a pair of speakers, two desk lamps, a pot of pens and pencils, two dirty mugs, a collection of conkers and driftwood, a sad lamp and a jar of awesome. The jar of awesome is a ceramic money box and every time something good happens or I think something positive, I jot it down on a scrap of paper and put it into the jar. This morning's entry, Dawn Chorus. I use it to train myself to be more appreciative of all the small, good events that are happening right now in my life. Underneath my desk, out of sight and out of mind, are a couple of shelves holding a jumble of stationery, tripods, microphones, hard drives, a printer. I always print out my writing to edit with a red pen and an old beer box that I toss all my accounting paperwork and receipts into. Once a quarter, I cheerfully deposit the contents with my accountant. I drink bucketfuls of tea and coffee when I'm working, though at least I've moved to decaf. I alternate between drinking Yorkshire tea and coffee made with an AeroPress, as it doesn't really require cleaning. My mugs tend to get pretty grimy, however. The one health upside is that I need to go for a regular pee break behind my shed and so can do some pull-ups on the bar I've hung from a tree there. When I'm working, I listen to BBC Six Music on my radio in the mornings, unless I need to concentrate, in which case I play classical music. After lunch, I switch to BBC Radio 3, unless I need to perk myself up, in which case I find something loud and fast on Spotify. The only exemption to these listening habits is when I need silence for maximum concentration or when there's a test match on and I'm glued to the cricket on test match special all day. Pinned to the back wall of my shed, above the kettle and the radio, is a massive map of the area I live, tacked together from 1 to 50,000 ordnance survey maps. I use it to plan ideas and I annotate it with interesting places I discover. There's also a habit calendar which I mark with an X every time I tick off the daily task I'm trying to build into a habit. When the chart is complete, after 100 days, I cover the Xs with white stickers and begin again on something different. I've used it, for example, to commit to concentrated periods of daily writing, 
pull-ups, morning pages and meditation. The final wall of the shed, behind me, is covered with books. They're jumbled on shelves, along with a gold crest nest, a framed dollar bill from busking in Vegas, the original chapter illustration from My Midsummer Morning, and a couple of souvenir number plates found beside the road in Iceland and the Middle East. My seemingly disorganised bookshelves are a tremendous help to me in formulating ideas and putting plans together. I have a terrible memory for the details of books, but I remember well the gist of books as well as their size and the design of their spine. Seeing them helps jog my memory and gets me thinking. I'm forever plucking books from the shelves and piling them around the floor to help me connect thoughts and shape the direction of my writing. In the past year or so, I've started to read on a Kindle. Whilst it's a fabulous gadget, I've not worked out a way to incorporate those books into my cross-pollinating process. Other features in my shed. A large, tacky, faux antique globe that opens into a drinks cabinet, though wisely there are no bottles in there. A red ensign I found washed up on a beach. A climbing harness hangs on a hook by the door in case I get the urge to go and climb a scarier tree than usual. Most ridiculous of all, standing in the corner of the shed, is a six-foot poster of myself that makes me chuckle. It's a testament to the powers of Photoshop that I look incredibly rugged on there. I feel the need to explain such narcissism. A brand I once worked with had some posters made to promote a new rain jacket in outdoor stores across Germany. I had no idea about this until one day I spotted myself in a Munich shop window. I found this hilarious and asked if I could have one. So there I stand, brooding and hunky, smouldering in the rain in the corner of my shed. I have to be very careful when positioning my camera for Zoom calls so that the person I'm speaking to cannot see such a ludicrous shrine to myself. One additional tool I use specifically for writing books is Scrivener. It's a program similar to Word, except that it's straightforward to shuffle chapters around, chop and change paragraphs, and go back through your revisions. At the start of writing each book, I begin a new folder for every chapter and scribble down as much as possible, regardless of how rubbish it might be at first. I also chop up all my typed diary entries and paste them into the appropriate chapters. Scrivener is a brilliant tool. As is Vellum, which I use for formatting my Kindle books, it's incredibly easy and intuitive to do, and Hindenburg, which I use for narrating my audiobooks and podcasts. In the early stages of planning books, I spread long blank rolls of wallpaper, lining paper and loads of coloured pens across the floor of my shed. Then I kneel down and start sketching out elaborate mind maps. I sometimes use a whiteboard for mind maps too. I take digital notes throughout the writing process using the Simple Note app on my phone when I'm out and about. I often have ideas when I'm in the gym, on a run or reading a book in the evening. Simple Note syncs automatically with my computer. So every time I open a new browser tab, my list of notes appears as my homepage. I also tease out ideas using notebooks and pens. I have a big old green leather armchair that I like to sit in when scribbling my notebooks, of which I always seem to have two or three on the go at any time. I definitely feel more cleverer and well inspired to write proper good stuff when I have a fresh, excessively expensive moleskin notebook and a smooth black uniball pen or an auto horizon ballpoint. 
If I get stuck with my writing, I sit down for half an hour with a coffee and a notebook to write a stream of consciousness flow. Somehow that process often seems to solidify into something helpful. At any one time, I also have half a dozen coloured post-it notepads on the go. All hail to the humble sticky note for the hyperactive but disorganised mind. And that's about all I need to write my books. Plus, of course, the two most essential tools. Time and persistence. Quick question. How do you make your presentations? I use Keynote for making my talks, but usually export the slideshow as PowerPoint for clients after first flattening the images to avoid fonts going crazy and checking whether the images need to be 4x3 or 16x9. Then I send it via www.wetransfer.com so that the presentation can be installed on the events computer in good time. I'm cautious of using video clips in my presentations, especially clips that need audio, due to the exponentially higher chance of something going wrong with the technology. But when I do include videos, I send the file separately, in addition to the embedded versions, converted to the correct format and resolution for the venue I'll be speaking at. Quick question, how on earth do you pack light? I find it hard even for a night away. A quote from Three Men in a Boat that is wisdom for life as well as for packing a rucksack. We must not think of the things we could do with, but only of the things that we can't do without. <laughs>